0: This episode of Founders Talk is brought to you by Less Accounting. Go to lessaccounting.com and sign up for an account today using the coupon code FOUNDERSTALK4 and you are going to get two months, that's right, two months free of using Less Accounting. It is by far the best accounting software you can use for your small business. I use it for all my stuff. I absolutely love it. My, uh, My taxes this year was the easiest they've ever been. And uh, I cannot thank anybody besides less accounting for making it so easy to take care of my books. Uh, again, use the coupon code founders talk for, for two months free. You can import from QuickBooks. If you use QuickBooks, uh, you can invite your accountant to your account online. They have awesome support. And best of all, there's no more data entry because you can actually connect your bank account and automatically pull over all that data. So there's no more copying and pasting and, no more data entry on your part. It, it just becomes minutes versus hours or even weeks of your book. So I absolutely love them. LessieCounting.com. This is Founders Talk, an interview podcast hosted by me, Adam Stachowiak, and we profile founders building businesses online as well as offline. And if you found this show on iTunes, we're also on the web at 5 x Five. And if you're on Twitter, follow Founders Talk, as well as me, Adam Stack. And today's guest is Steve Espinosa, the founder and CEO of AppStack. Enjoy the show. I'm joined today by Steve Espinosa, and he is the mind behind AppStack. And Steve, I'd like to give the best introduction for you, but i got to imagine that you could probably do it better yourself. So uh, do the listeners a favor. Give me a brief intro of who you are.
1: Um, I'm an avid White Sox fan. I am a father, a husband, and an entrepreneur. Well,
0: that's a good that's a good intro fan. So you're a White Sox fan, so Chicago. You're not from Chicago
1: though, are you? No, no. Um so my T ball team was the Chicago White Sox and I was a first baseman and Frank Thomas was the thing back then. Yes. So I am a White Sox fan for life now.
0: Okay, so when you say back then, how old are you? I'm twenty four. Okay. Well, I'm 33, and that would have been back then for me. I can say that's probably definitely back back then for you. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah, I was about five.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I remember actually buying a Frank Thomas rookie card, and I was about 13 or 14, I guess, maybe. But very cool. Yeah, White Sox fan here as well. I think, was it the jerseys that got you or what? Or was it just White Sox in general?
1: Um, It was just – he was just such a big guy. He's, like, so powerful, right? He just – I mean, it was either him or Ken Griffey Jr. back then. And Ken Griffey Jr. wore his hat backwards. He's kind of like stylish. And like Frank Thomas is just like this big, like muscled up dude who just smashed the ball, right? And then like ran slowly. Like that was my style.
0: He was first baseman, (laughs) right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: Good place to be if you're a big guy like that. That's for sure. And and the home runs, you can't beat the home runs.
1: Exactly.
0: Now that we've officially introduced the listeners to the fact that you're a, a White Sox and baseball lover um let's dig into i guess some of your your backstory you said you're a husband you're a father uh you're an entrepreneur where should we begin to kind of chisel away at uh, where you began entrepreneurship
1: um so i think in high school i had like um, my first official business which was making fake ids and fake schedules okay (laughs) right so i would um I basically just I, I did a lot of um, graphic design and web design when I first started out. Um super good money, like for especially for a kid, right? Like I was pumped like I make five hundred bucks in a day for designing like this um barbershop's website. So I was super pumped on that. And then I quickly noticed like, well, I could design IDs too, probably. So um my dad at the time was um traveling back and forth from Florida and I noticed he had a Florida driver's license, and I looked at it and I was like, oh, I could totally Photoshop this. Way easier than California. So I would simply – I made my own template. I would, dro- I would drop in pictures that I took in front of a screen that I put up in my room, and I would simply just make fake IDs for 300 bucks a pop and sell them at high school all day long. Um, and then schedules were even easier because basically people just wanted early release schedules to show the security guards that they didn't have any classes then. So you just simply had to Photoshop a schedule, and I would sell those a lot. <laughs> so that was kind of like my first like business where I was probably making um, – Probably making like a, like a thousand dollars a week when I was like fourteen, fifteen. Did you have a beeper or did
0: you have a cell phone?
1: <laughs> I had a cell phone. I had a Virgin Mobile cell phone. I totally remember it.
0: Okay, because we just said that back in the day was for me, but back back in the day for you. So I had a beeper yeah. when I was probably okay. that age.
1: I had a prepaid cell phone. It was so. totally
0: cool back then to have a beeper. <laughs> I think I even it's,
1: it's still cool to have a beeper. If if you told me to beep you, I would be impressed. <laughs>
0: so how did you get your leads i mean i'm just kind of curious about this business model were you scared at all
1: no no of course not right i thought like i thought like oh yeah what's the worst that's gonna happen um so i mean my mom knew i was doing it like she kind of like you know half didn't like it half was impressed um i showed her i was like look at this fake idea i made (laughs) like it looks real so um that was kind of funny i would just basically go to parties and People will be like, "Where'd you get the beer?" I'm like, "Well, I bought it. Don't you see this ID?" Right, and that was like the perfect like acquisition model. Like,
0: nice bring
1: bring beer to a party, and the people immediately ask, "How did you get this beer?" Please tell me. I'm like, "I got it myself." So it was super. It was fun.
0: That's crazy. So you never did? You ever get questioned when you went to buy it?
1: Never. Nobody knows what a Florida ID looks like in California. Oh,
0: that's true. Yeah, that does make some sense. So
1: oh, right, that was the brilliant part about it.
0: You looked young, though, right?
1: Yeah, I was, I was, I had, like, I could grow a beard when I was in freshman, right? So, I mean, even then, I mean, even kids wanted it to be able to buy cigarettes, right? And it was passable for 18 and stuff like that. So it, it worked out. Like, yeah, sometimes I heard of a couple of people who got caught with it, but the only thing they do is take it away. Like, you don't get in trouble, right? So it it was cool. I liked it. And then I did that and I designed websites.
0: So you design a website. So let's fast forward a bit then. So we're in high school. We're making fake IDs. That's kind of the intro to some, uh, I guess, making money ways. What did you learn from there to take it to your next venture?
1: Um, I got really, really into recurring revenue um, business models very fast. Um, so I hated the fact that like I always had to hustle for the next client. Um, I had a you know. Find the next person who wanted an ID. Um, so I started getting into like normal stuff, like bundle hosting with my websites and all that kind of stuff. And I ran into these people um, who were doing that locally. Um, the guy guy's actually now my VP of sales at AppSec, um, where they were basically bundling websites with um, search marketing packages for small businesses. Like they would just basically um, buy a couple hundred bucks in um, AdWords spend and then bundle it with a website and it's. $300 a month, right? So that's when I first started. I graduated high school. I graduated when I was 16 and a half or something like that. Um, and then I went and did a couple of things and ended up winding up at this company running um, product for them when I was 17. And basically just did you know small business marketing, local search, like forever ago. I don't know. This must have been – 2004 2005 right so way before foursquare or any of this was really really big um and back then like i knew like it was like it's still the same problems right like small businesses don't get it and they need to make it simpler and they only have a couple hundred dollar budget like that's we're still facing the same problems and i think that like since i've been around it so long i've tried so many ways and i've you know i basically can't it up any more ways than i have already so that's why I think I'm starting to get this like upswing of success with small businesses.
0: Nice. So what uh, what was your very first business then?
1: So I, mean, I, did, I guess
0: leading into some of the yeah, more so, official um, businesses.
1: My <laughs> very first business, like me, like Steve, like official business was um it was called BuzzSpot. Um and basically what we did is we um would schedule Google came out with Google TV ads. This is before the actual Google TV set top box, where basically they tried to revolutionize the way people bought ad spend on TV. So they got a a deal with Dish Network where it said, listen, we're only going to charge people for actual views of the TV ad so they can detect that the channel was turned on at that time versus normal TV ad spends based upon Nielsen ratings, which is like, plus or minus 30% accuracy, which is crazy, right? So Google said, listen, it's just like pay-per-click, like you just basically pay-per-view of how many people actually watch that t- um, that that commercial that you just aired. So I would do that and bundle that with search marketing and say, listen, we're going to optimize your search marketing spend with when your views happen on your, on your TV ads. And we could do that because we get instant feedback from Google AdWords. So I would do that and I'd sell packages of a thousand to $2,000. Um, I ran that business for about six months and I ended up selling it to search initiatives when I was like, um, 20. Um, so I did that. And then my second business was backyard. Um, backyard came from, I met Jason Calcanis on Twitter actually. Um, one time he was tweeting, um, does anybody want to take me to a Lakers game? um, you know, he just went to a playoff game. I, mean, I had never been to a basketball game before in my life. And it's like 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, I'm kind of like stalking him on Twitter back then. Right. And um, I was like, I think I'm going to, you know, tweet back and just say, yeah, I'll take you. Right. <laughs> and my wife's sitting there telling me like, no, don't do it. You're crazy. You're going to look like a creepo. Right. Right. Um, this is back then when like everybody thought Twitter was for stalkers and weird people. Well, when's like, back then? Um, This had to have been like 2007, 2008. Okay. Right, so I mean, it was kind of new, but the normal population hadn't really like flocked to it yet. Right. Um, So 2008. So we did that, and then um, he replied to me, which is crazy, right? He was like, "Where are your tickets?" And I was like, "Oh shit! Like, I better get some tickets." So me not knowing, like, okay. Um, anything about basketball or knowing if even if he's going to say yes, I go on StubHub and I buy like the most expensive tickets I can buy Whoa. to to like a playoff game. Like, yeah, we were like a couple rows back like for a Lakers playoff game. And it was like, I don't know, it was like a couple thousand bucks a ticket or something stupid. I forget what it was. Um, and I'm like, oh, I hope this guy says yes, because I just spent like 15 percent of my net worth. Right.
0: Um
1: and he replied back, he's like, Great, I'll meet you at the magic statue at seven at seven o'clock and I'm like, Okay, great. So first thing I do is Google what the hell's the magic statue? (laughs) I I guess it's like this big Magic Johnson statue outside the Staples Center. Right. So I totally go, I meet this guy and like um you know, I, I tell Jason at the time and he knows the story now, I tell him that like, oh yeah, my my father in law got me the tickets, he can get tickets really easy. Um, kind of like wanting him to go in the future with me and he totally did go to more games after that because I didn't want to make him feel like he's making this poor kid buy, buy him Lakers tickets, right? <laughs> so I get there. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got these tickets. No problem, man. Act like it's no big deal. <laughs> um And then my my goal was just kind of like to convince him that like um, I was a super smart dude and that like I basically know a lot of stuff that he should know and it's good to know me and I could help him any way possible. So at the end of the night, we just kind of casually talk, like spent the whole game with him, super nice dude. Um, Couldn't be a better dude to me um, for someone who just met him on Twitter, bought me beers that night, like everything, like it was was awesome.
0: Was it ever weird at all?
1: Uh, yeah, there were some moments where I had no idea what to talk to him about, right? Like, I totally, like, we were kind of sitting there, and we were talking back and forth, and, but it was, for the most part, it was like I was just hanging out with the buddy, right? Like, it was like, hey, like, and then we kind of talk in business, but the game was really good, so at least there was a game to watch, right. right? We didn't have to be talking nonstop. It wasn't like we were meeting for coffee and on a blind date, Um so it was super great, And at the end of the day, he's like, Oh, you know, you're really you're smart. You should definitely come out and um come out to the office and and help me out with Mahalo and do some consulting. And I was like super pumped. So I was like, okay. So I ended up doing a whole bunch of consulting for him and like um just do you know, as much as I can, like prove to him how smart I was and like I'm like I needed an in and as people it is hard to get in and, like, meet all these people and, like, raise money and, and, you know, be able to get connected and stuff like that. But it's, like, so I knew, like, I need to find one person who knows a lot of people and get, them super, yeah. get them super impressed with me. So that's what I did. Like, I didn't even charge them anything for consulting, right? Like, I'm just, like, I'm going to make this guy money. And I would go in and I would look at their analytics and, like, and, and find these little little, you know, Nuggets of data and be like, oh, if we just do this switch, we can make an extra 10000 a year off ads because of X, Y, and Z. Right. So I would just do that over and over and over and then helping out, help him out with like SEO and help him out with, um, with basically, um, AdSense optimization based on like user experience trials and stuff like that. So we would just do that over and over and over. And eventually, like, he was like, you know, you're pretty smart. You should come work for me. And it didn't really work out because I was like, listen, I, I'm going to start my own thing again. And he's like, great, let me know when you do that. So one day he called me up. He goes, You know that idea you were telling me about? And I was like, Yeah, totally. He was like, Why, you know, you should come up and pitch it to all these people. And so, like, literally three days later, I was on a plane to like Northern California and I'm pitching like Jeff Clavier and then like Dave McClure and like Eric Schmidt's Venture Company and um, XG, which is a, um, a, like basically X googler seed fund, like all these like top-notch VCs. Like this is literally the first pitch I've ever done. I've never actually pitched a business, right? I remember it now and I'm like, God, I must have sucked.
0: Like, and so this business you're pitching, is it
1: AppStack? It's, it's Backyard. Okay. So, so basically I'm pitching Backyard and the idea was that um, Yelp's super cool except that like when you go to the like, hair salon in San Francisco, it's like all five stars for the whole page. Right. And the really if once that happens, the only differentiation is location and basically proximity to you. And that's basically just back to like antiquated technology. Right. Like how far away you from this business, that's your best match. And it's really not. Um, Really, there's three things that consumers want. It's um, how good of a place it is. um, How far away is it from you and how much does it cost? And all those three things factor into what the value is to the consumer right and pretty much everybody what they were doing is just, is just distance and ratings so what we did is we literally would set up people inside our office and all they would do is call like day spas and hair salons and nail salons all day long and ask them for their prices and services and and store that data so now we consumers could do like a kayak type search for local services and nobody could do that before so we were adding tons of value to the users um, our average time on site was like six and a half minutes um, versus normal local search sites that are independent from Google. Was like was like a, if, um, a minute at most because they were just getting their data and how, versus, we were adding a lot of data and adding a lot of um, value that they couldn't find anywhere else. So I pitched that. We ended up raising um, seed money from Dave McClure, um, Eric Schmidt, who at the time was the CEO of Google, and um, Jason Calganis. So, did that. Um, it was crazy. I didn't know what I was doing. I can't believe they even gave me money. Um, I can, I remember they called me up. They're like, okay, we're ready to wire um, money into your account. Like, we're going to send $50,000 right now. And I'm like, okay, great. Let me go set up a bank account real quick and I'll call you back with the number. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, it was like, I didn't even have a corporation set up. Like, they had to set it up for me. Like, I didn't know any of this stuff back then. Right. Um, so, I was super stoked. So, I did that. Um and we just stayed really focused on like acquiring deals the fastest and the most efficient way so like optimizing um telesales scripts Um, Or basically, um, we called them deal agents, where they would call up and like, how do you ask for prices in a nice way? Because sometimes people would be like, why do you want to know my prices? Like, it's super defensive, thinking like we're a competitor trying to find out their secrets. Um, So just optimizing those scripts for each vertical and then optimizing the search experience. And we ended up doing that. We also, uh, I ended up going, acquiring um, a friend of mine's company um, called CitySquares.com and they were at like a half a million users um, i negotiated that deal so that was kind of like within the, like a 6 month time frame i raised money i made my first company um i was like the ceo for like real ceo for the first time right with like investors and stuff like that and i acquired another company so it was like a total roller coaster ride of of learning and just getting thrown into it and at the end of 6 months we were at like 600,000 monthly active users um, $60,000 a month in revenue. And that's when, um, pixel fish wanted to, um, acquire us. So we ended up selling to pixel fish in the, you know, 4 million range, um, and in, like, in, like seven months. So it was super crazy. Cause then I got acquired too. Um, and it was, I was totally blessed. Like it was a really, really good experience. Um, so many things I would do different now. Right. But like I'm glad I made all the mistakes I did because now with AppSec, like, like I don't think I think being focused, like as cliche it is, is the most underrated thing in the world. Um, as far as like being an entrepreneur, like being focused is like that's what makes either you, you live or die by it, and that's really it. Like by your focus, yeah, by your focus. Like if you're not focused, like like I'm more focused now on like on anything. Like if I wanted to go back to backyard, like I would say, listen, we're all, we're going to be the best deal search. For hair salons, like not nail salons, not day spas, not anything else, just hair salons. Like you just your your engineers can work better, your designers can work better. Like it flows all the way down. Like you don't have to think about user experiences for different type of use cases. You don't have to think about different operation processes and everything else. Like it just complicates your business model so much. And my business model now is simpler than it was at my last company. Let's talk about
0: that a little bit if we can. I mean, because I can. I can I can appreciate what you're saying about focus because my primary role besides being a podcaster and hosting this show is as a UX designer. So I can totally appreciate focusing and, you know, having one niche to kind of chisel out versus a niche that might also bleed into this one or that one is a little harder to, to deal with. You get into defensive design and all that good stuff. But you'd mentioned that you that you would have done things a little differently. And you kind of bled into focus. So, what about focus? Would you would you say that you would have changed? I guess about backyard.
1: Yeah. So I think like the number of verticals we were going at. Like I think we should have gone after one vertical at first, especially for how small we were. We tried to like tackle all the beauty and like family fun stuff, like go karts, arcades, all that kind of stuff, and really like. We should have tackled one vertical and we should have been the best at it. Like, we were focused on getting all the deals for California. So, like, we literally had every single nail salon price, every single hair salon, every single tanning salon in California. And really, I should have focused on doing all the hair salons across the country, right? Like, that should have been my goal. Um, That would have consolidated my sales effort, too. Uh, My sales reps were having to worry about what deals we had in what areas versus if I would have just said, we have every hair salon, um, they would have known who to market to. I also would have been able to um, understand my metrics better. My designers wouldn't have to worry about different use cases. Um, There's intricacies to products that small businesses offer, right? Like um, um, here's an example. So someone might be searching for a manicure um, under $20, and we would serve up a search result, right? And we would know that someone had a mani-pedi combo. For $18, but we had to normalize that data back so that the system knew that a mani-pedi included a manicure. Like all these intricacies that we had to deal with every vertical so the search actually worked right, right? Because if you're looking for a manicure under $20, you're definitely interested in a package that includes it for under $20. Right, right. So we would have to dive into each vertical and figure those problems out, engineer around it, design around it, and then sell around that to the small businesses. And I tried to do that with like five or six verticals right off the bat, and it was just a bad idea. So I could have got a crit- critical mass faster. I probably could have drove up time on site a lot faster and increased sales if I were to just been focused. And I don't think people think through everything as much. And I think stuff like accelerators and incubators are – Really helping entrepreneurs learn those goals faster, um, and so I think I think that's just really the key. Is like those are really helping out, and it's really just being able to focus and find your niche faster. And we kind of started finding it as we went. Like we started dropping off family stuff, like like movie t- movie prices and um, arcade specials and go karts, and started really focusing on beauty. But we should have. We should have started backwards and started with one and then opened up rather than open up and then narrow down to one. And so with
0: the acquisition, I guess that was at least based on TechCrunch, uh, Tuesday, April 26, 2011. So that was when you got acquired by PixelFish. You said you got uh, picked up as well. So you became the CTO as part of that. Are you still part of that uh, that outfit?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm still running product over here um, for PixelFish. And um, I'm the CEO of AppStack, so the um, guys at PixelFace, John McIntyre, who's the CEO, um, couldn't be a greater guy, um, and just really supportive of me doing AppStack and everything else. So I I love it, and they're doing some really cool stuff. So I super appreciate um, everything John Max done for me, and it's it's a perfect scenario for me. That companies are even we share office space, so it couldn't be better.
0: So just because I kind of know how blessed you are, maybe the listeners know as well. I'm I was stunned at the story you told about how you met, uh, how you met Jason, and that whole story. Because my very next question later on in the story, when we got to AppStack, was talking about how you got funding and these kind of investors and these kinds of advisors. Yeah, can you just explain the? I guess the stroke of luck and some of the the finer details of how that relationship has played out over you for, uh, I guess over the years for you.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, basically Jason got me my first investors. So I'll, I'll tell you everything. Like I can, um, I can drill down like even farther and I know what led me to meet Jason and yada, yada, but we won't go there. So then after I sell backyard, um, I work at Pixelfish, and then I come up with an idea for AppStack and I say, this is what I want to do. And that allows me to go back to Dave McClure and Jason and Eric Schmidt and say, I want to do this again. And they say, yes, like you should do this again. We believe in you. You made us a lot of money last time. We want to make you make us even more money. So we, they say, great, we're going to do this. They immediately, I, it took me forever to raise 70 grand. It took me a week to raise half a million, right, and I didn't have to do any in person meetings, so it just like once you prove yourself to these guys and once you work your ass off and you you know you let them know that like listen i'm 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 not gonna fuck up and I'm gonna work my my butt off for you and I'm gonna hustle and I'm gonna out hustle everybody else like they'll love you for it and they could see it and they notice it and they'll take care of you so I think like After I did that, um, Eric Schmidt's company introduced me to Google and Google said, listen, we love what you're doing. Um, We want to invest in you as well. And then I... um I met Gary V through Jason because um he happened to be at Mahalo one day. We ended up talking. Um I ended up following up with um Gary V because I was giving him shit about the Carmelo Anthony trade. Um <laughs> yeah, I, just, I still think that the Knicks could have had all their key players and signed Melo in the off season and be a lot better off. Um but that's for another day. So we we're talking shit about Carmelo Anthony trade, ended up following back up with him. I'm telling him what I'm doing. He ended up investing in uh, in me, and it really just like it was. It was great. I mean, this all came from like Twitter, right? And like me having the balls to spend money to be able to tell this guy like a how lot smart of money. I... Yeah, yeah. Like, like basically, like, like it. This turned this changed my life. Like, it absolutely changed my life. So it was
0: a big risk that you're really glad you took. Yeah, For sure. Obviously, right?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So it's like I think that like, and it just comes from hustle right? It's like, it's like I was hustling to be able to have that money in my bank account as a 20 year old or 21 year old. Or I don't know how how old I was. Um, well, you said to you able sold to, your first company at 20. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, I had to be after that. So it was like, I was like 21. Um, there's some time that passed in between when I took Jason to when I actually raised money. Um, so when I met, when I met Jason, like, it was like I was already like trying to get to that goal. And I think like having a clear set of expectations of knowing who you need to meet and who you need to um, – how you need to get to them is key. So I think like when I was like – before I met Jason, I was totally like it's too hard to meet these people. I'm never going to meet these people. I don't even live up in Silicon Valley. Like this is impossible. And I just kept plugging away at it. And then I would talk with other people. Who were like, yeah, there needs to be an easier way. And now I'm like, oh, that's bullshit. Like it needs to be harder, like it's like that's that's like their filter process like that's my filter process like I don't talk to really anybody like people who talk to me because like they want to work at my company or people who talk to me because they want me to speak at like an event like i don't just like I don't reply to like random emails right it's like as a filter process like you get introduced me to me by someone who knows me like if you really want to talk to me that's how you get in touch with me. And it's the same thing for investors. Like if you really want to talk to them, you either find them and impress them or you find someone who knows them. And that's really it. Like that's the best way. And that's the best best way to like get meetings, really. Um, so I think that it's, everything else is bullshit. Like you can fill out applications and do contact forms and, and send cold emails, but that's the most efficient way, inefficient way to do it. And you really just need to hustle and like, And find people. Like I remember Dave McClure tweeted out one time that he needed a ride. And anybody who gives him a ride to San Francisco can pitch him. And like there's this group that went and picked him up and drove him to San Francisco because he didn't have a car and he ended up investing in him like 50 grand. Like that needs to happen more often. I think people are too scared to do that. And it's like, what are you scared to do? You're gonna get embarrassed? Like who cares? Right? Like like it's it's the same thing like if you have a fake ID. (laughs) <laughs> like who cares? It's going to get taken it's going to get taken away and you're going to go home. Like no one really cares.
0: What's the worst could happen? They say no.
1: Exactly, dude. Exactly. Well, the, exactly. The, the key to success
0: though, and the key, key to successful people is that they're always willing to do what unsuccessful people are not willing to do. Right? You, you said you said hustle, but basically you were open to doing everything that an unsuccessful person was not open to doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess you could put it like that. It's just like Well, the unsuccessful people stop. You continued. Yeah, yeah, oh, totally. And all the guys who like have a whole bunch of money and like are successful are the same guys like who who have a whole bunch of girlfriends in high school, right? (laughs) Right. They 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 weren't scared to ask for a number and they weren't scared to like like go talk to chicks, right? It's because and even like oh yeah, I, I got like I got rejected and girls told me no, you can't have my number. I didn't care. (laughs) <laughs> right it's just like that's part of it, so I had a whole bunch of people who told me, no, I don't want to invest in your company this is this I literally had um one v c tell me this isn't gonna make any money at all two months before I was acquired what'd you do uh, I nothing like I was like thanks man like I appreciate it and like that was his opinion and i'm I'm pumped that like you know um i taught um that I proved him wrong um I think that's just kind of like. I don't know, you're really competitive as an entrepreneur and I hate losing more than I like winning. So it feels really good to win and it's like at AppSec, like we're we're killing it right now. And like I have amazing designers like Joel, um, and Jed that are kicking butt and I think that everything's everything's rolling the right way and I'm super blessed and I'm super lucky right now and I just i I'm keeping on it and I think we just have to work harder. Like I think a lot of people don't work as hard as they think they work right and they think like 40 hours a week is okay and that, yeah that's okay like if you want like if you want to just be normal and like do your job and there's nothing wrong with that but if you want more like you need to work 60 hours a week like there's no way around it and if you're not like you're just not working hard enough
0: cuz if you aren't the next person is
1: oh completely right <laughs> exactly like so like i still can't get my mind around how some like ceos or entrepreneurs can't do financial models like if you can't do a financial model and you don't understand how that works and like you or it's too complicated for you to figure out, like I don't trust you to invest in you, I don't trust in you to um come up with you know figure out hard decisions in the future, um, figure out if if doing certain product changes are worth it, any of that like i I don't understand like certain attributes of entrepreneurs and I think like a lot of these people who think they're entrepreneurs right now are just really good employees. Right, like they're really, really good designers and that's what they're be that's what they'll be and they won't ever be more and that's okay. But I think people are trying to right now, like trying to be more than they are, and it's like they're gonna end up like losing money. They're gonna end up like like depressed about company going under. Like a lot of people say like, oh listen, like it's okay if your company fails. Like no one thinks that. Right? It's like try telling someone who's divorced, it's okay other people get divorced. Like like they're not okay with it right so right. it's like i i think there's a lot of aspects that a lot of people just don't get about entrepreneurship and they just shouldn't be entrepreneurs and i think a lot of people are just too scared right now to tell their buddies or friends like oh my god the best thing you could do is tell your friend he has a shitty business right because it's like they need to know and too many people think they're going to be entrepreneurs and they're not like they're just going to fail and i i i'm stoked that they're going to try and all that stuff but people need to find out sooner if it's not going to work out
0: so let's since we're kind of full circle we're kind of getting closer to app stock and talking about the details here you've got what 12 people on your team
1: i think we're up to like 30 employees now
0: okay so your your about page or your team pages is lagging
1: well, yeah, we're not. We don't. We don't include everybody on there. We're kind of. We we have a lot of other stuff to do. My even, my brother's not even on there. My brother works for the company, and I haven't even put him on there. So, I'm I'm kind of getting shit from that.
0: <laughs> I bet. Um, so let's let's talk about AppStack then. So, where did the idea come from? What were the first moments of getting started? Did it was it just a trickle over from ideas you had with Backyard, or was it something brand new that? Uh,
1: yeah. So I originally wanted to do AppSec. It was called Appetizer originally. And I thought of it actually before Backyard. Um, I wanted to automate the process of iPhone apps. And then, you know, eventually everybody got that idea. Um, but like we, I started working on it back in like 2007 Um And I wanted to do it for newspapers so that, like, basically easier to read the articles and then they could serve geo-targeted ads and um, all that kind of stuff. Um, As soon as I started getting into the processes of working with publications and stuff like that, I was like, no, this is – it's not there yet. I mean, not that many people had iPhones back then either, right? And Android really wasn't even a thing back then. Um, And so now, like, fast forward to today, I was like, listen, like, it's – everybody has a smartphone now. And it's really, like, everyone's, like – four years away from only having smartphones. Like pretty soon they're just like, they're going to be forced to upgrade and the only thing available is a smartphone. Right. right. So then users will adopt and they'll start searching on Google like they search on the desktop. So we went into that, into that mode and, Basically, came down to the fact when we first started, we were like, listen, we're going to build this awesome CMS and it's going to be like you're going to be able to customize all this stuff and it's going to be really, really easy. And it still was super hard. Like businesses don't want to do that. So now it's like you fast forward to today, um, businesses only need to give us a phone number and then we can crawl all the social media sites and all the normalized data sites like Google Places, um, Yellow Pages, Foursquare. So places where there's information about that business that maybe the business owner didn't even put on there, consumers or people who checked in took photos, um, people on Yelp rated it. We can take all that data and make like a beautiful web app for these businesses and that's really the barrier of entry to them actually advertising on Google on mobile search. So if you don't have a good website um, for mobile phones, then you're definitely not going to advertise on mobile search because consumers hate like pinching and dragging and all that stuff and it's just – not super effective. Yeah, exactly. So once we once we solve that problem, we basically just help them advertise. So if someone's looking for a hair salon and they're within five miles of you, we'll serve your ad. Um, the call to action on that is a phone number of directions and the – Consumer mindset's much different than when they're on the desktop. When they're on the desktop, they're kind of shopping around. When they're on the phone, they're like they're in a buy now decision. They're like you know driving. Oh, I have an hour, or my friend's late, or something like that. Like I'm just gonna kill time and go get a haircut, right? Um, so they're in their car and they're looking and they simply call. So the the search to an actual lead is much faster. So small businesses love it because the because of the fact that they can quantitatively see what they're getting very, very fast versus desktop takes a little bit longer to turn that search into a lead. So um, that's kind of what we do in a nutshell. They can give us a phone number. They can tell us how how many miles around their business they want to advertise, and we take care of the rest. So the average small business owner is getting leads for sub $10, which is – um, much, much cheaper than our competition or any other any, anybody doing small business marketing in general. So we're super stoked on it. Um, Google's stoked on it. So we originally raised half a million dollars. We then raised another million because it was going so well on top of that um, from the same investors from Google, um, Eric Schmidt and um, Dave McClure. So we did that and we're kicking butt. We won um, Best Business Model at Launch. Um, which was I was super super excited, and there was a moment at launch where I was about to go on stage, and I was I was I was getting kind of nervous. Um, Jason Calcanis looks at me in the face. He's like, "Listen, I love this idea since the moment you told me about it. I've loved you since the moment I met you. You're gonna crush it. Don't worry about anything. It's just me and you up there." And then he taps me on the back, and then I go up on stage. Right? Like, no, no butterflies. Um, so that was like. Oh, uh, it was that's what I needed. I needed that like little like um I don't know if you're a fan of football, but every um every t- every time before the 49ers play, um coach Harbaugh goes up to Alex Smith who's the quarterback and he kind of like slaps his helmet around and hits his shoulder pads and kind of psychs him up, right? Right. And that was that was my moment from Jason like and it was kind of full total first circle from like this nervous kid who was like meeting him out in front of like a basketball game to now I'm like going up on stage and, you know, at at that point I didn't know, but like giving a winning presentation at launch. Right. Um, So we ended up winning best business model. We went from um, no revenue to $50,000 in recurring revenue within um, like 71 days. So we, we were growing like crazy faster than we ever thought we were going to be. And um, probably going to be raising um, another round of funding here pretty soon in the next three months.
0: So when I hear you say raising funding, I mean I, I kind of get some of the reasons why you need to raise funding. But just for the listeners' sake, when you say you're going to raise more money, what is the when you have that kind of throughput on revenue? Like you know, we're talking about fifty thousand dollars a month as a revenue, and you're only growing. So I think from just from reading the beat, you're looking at a million a year in revenue. So why go back to the to the to the miles that are feeding you and ask for more money? What's the what was the purpose of it?
1: Um, because I don't wanna so my last company was kind of like I'm in baseball terms, I hit a double. Um I'm not gonna hit a double this time. I'm gonna like I'm gonna hit a home run. So I'm gonna be we're gonna we're gonna be the biggest mobile marketing company on earth. Like that's our goal. And I'm not gonna do that with a million and a half. And um there's basically the way we think about it is we just need more. Um we know We built a product that works. We know business owners want it. We know we can sell it, and we know it makes money. So we really just need more of those things, and it's really an execution play now. Can you execute that at scale? Can you scale all four of those things? And you need more money to do that so I can do it faster.
0: Um, so is the money for salaries? Is the money for you know the money
1: for, for more people? More people, right? right? So more more pe- people, right? Yeah, more people to acquire customers and more people to build products.
0: Well, let's talk about people for a second because the last person on this uh, on this show actually out in your neighborhood, John Crawford, he runs Store Envy, and uh, he, he since I've met him two years ago at South by. I mean, I've met him before that, but the last time I saw him face to face was at South by in 2010, and since then he's been recruiting and. He's out in the Bay Area, he's in San Francisco, and, and it's just hard to find people. But you've got maybe some bigger connections and he's got. Let's talk about recruiting. What do you have? To, I mean, do you hire somebody to do that? What do you do for recruiting? And you've got the money, obviously, but you've got to find talent to hit that scale, like you had said.
1: Yeah, recruiting is um, super hard. Um, it's really hard to find the right person with the skill set. And then it's even harder to find someone with a skill set that gels with your team. I love my team. I go get beers with my team. I hang out with my team. They come over to my house um, for pool parties, right? Um, And so that's really the most important thing is I would much rather have someone I can grab a beer with and everybody can grab a beer with because, as everybody knows, like – if you don't like a dude personally, yeah. as professional as you try to be, you're not going to work super good with them, um, especially when it comes to like engineering and design where um, criticism is a huge part of it, yeah. right? Like feedback and everything else. And if you don't like someone, people get super defensive. Um, they don't take opinions the right way, all that type of stuff. So especially in a product team, it's huge to hire people who get along with everybody. So we recently like all vet somebody, the of the team interview them um so we're even doing that as as low low down as, as far as account managers now like the account management team like they all have to say this person's really cool and yes we would grab a beer with them and literally that's a question like would you get a beer with this person and if it's no like i don't really want to hire them and so on top of that it's just basically finding people through referrals is always the best um, and, uh, what's really cool about being, um, Google's an investor, um, they actually have, um, recruiters that you can use. So they send us a whole bunch of applicants that people who apply at Google, um, and then they also help you find qualified candidates, um, for free just for, you know, because we're a portfolio company and that really helps out a lot. And I couldn't, I couldn't say enough about the Google ventures team, like, how spot on they got it and venture companies are being ran like startups now like they have to iterate and they have to have more skill sets and they have to offer more than just money and it's kind of same thing 500 startups and google ventures are just absolutely killing it with providing entrepreneurs the tools they need on like building more than just a product like building building a company that can build a product and a company that can be profitable
0: All right Well, geez, man, you've got, uh, I don't know where to go from here. You've got such a wild story (laughs) and you've got, uh, it seems like you've pretty much led this conversation. Normally it's me asking a a lot of questions and having a conversation. I know we've sort of riffed here and there, but wow. I'm, I'm kind of just taken back at, uh, what you've been able to do. (laughs) Seriously. That's, this is probably one of the moments, uh, that I'm happily, uh, you know, I don't have much to say. That's that's crazy. Usually, I have the most to say <laughs> on this show, and it's my show. So, but uh, I, I guess we can dive in. I don't know. Did we actually we've talked about AppStack, but we, did we actually describe what it is? I know you've you've talked about yeah, some of the I, features of it, but I mean,
1: yeah, I think we. I mean, basically, um, we. Provide small businesses mobile customers like that's really it. We build them um, mobile web apps that they can advertise on Google AdWords um, for when people search on iPhones or Androids. So that's pretty much it. We try to make that a seamless solution. Um, right now, in the desktop and the mobile space, marketing and creation of a website they're kind of like treated as two separate. Like milestones that you do, and we try to sync that up as like one recursive theme. So the design, the interaction, um, the only reason you have those things is to get more customers. And small businesses are kind of a different animal than like a national brand or maybe a website that you're building because they're not as brand sensitive. Like none of none of our apps look like their website if they have one at all. So they really just want to know, like, oh, you got me more customers. Like, I'm pumped on that. So that kind of gives us the freedom of, like, having our designers go at it. Like, do what you think is best. Do what you think is going to pull, like, on the heartstrings of the consumers to either interact with this business, call them, get directions, email them, and ask them a question. And so we can really focus on data-driven design and then also let them go at it and do what they feel is best. So, that's what I'm really excited about this business is um, the small businesses are really just saying, here's my budget. Um, I want to get people who are searching on mobile phones, do your best job. And that's our goal. And our goal is to do that as quick and as um, effortlessly on their part as possible.
0: So when you talk about, the the things I guess you're doing here, focusing on mobile, uh making it kind of easier. Is there is there any options where you're opening the platform to to designers and developers to actually leverage your platform or is this mostly in house stuff happening? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we're 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 making we're in the process of making an API right now. We definitely see this as like um as people will be able to make themes and um make plugins for their current stuff. So we even have people right now that are like have restaurants and they put their open table um um you know reserve a table now" button on the contact page, and we definitely think there's um ways to expand upon that. um We're just not there yet. um we're again staying super focused on our niche, and our niche right now is really about five or six verticals that we're killing it in, and um getting those customers um as much as many leads as possible, and then expanding upon that probably around in q three.
0: Yeah, based on your homepage, you're talking about 50 different industries. And back with, when you we t- were talking about Backyard, you said if you could do something over again, you would have had more focus. Did you Do you think you learned your lesson well with, with what you're doing here with AppStack then?
1: Yeah, we initially started with one industry, and then we expanded to three, and then six, and then now 50. So we very much took our time, um, looked at what was happening, uh, iterated again, took what was happening, iterated again, and then found our niche. So we originally started only making native apps um, search marketing wasn't even part of it um, and then people liked that but the only people that liked that were the people like kind of ego driven like they liked having an app in the app store and then we got into the fact that like okay, what they're really asking for is how many customers did this bring? And we really couldn't quantify that because that was based on the business. Like, well, how much did you promote the app to get downloaded, right? Um, And then so they're like, listen, we don't want to do that. Can you do that? And we're like, well, the easiest way to advertise it is via search. And then we're like, okay, we'll do that. And we can just take this HTML5 app, put it on the web, um, drive customers who are searching to it. And like, okay, let's try that now. So then we tried selling that. And then we're like, okay, um, this works. It drives customers, but people aren't adapting it as fast because it didn't have that kind of ring to it as like having an app in the app store did, right? They kind of just thought, oh, it's Google marketing. Like I've heard my cousin does that or something. Right. Um, so then we said, okay, um, let's offer free for thirty days and then allow them to convert into paying customers after that. So then we tried that sales model, and the combination of search marketing and the thirty day free trial was like our perfect key to success. And then we started scaling up, right? Now and, and so that was the complete like i i wouldn't i wouldn't do anything over again in that process, like that was like to me like i don 't see how we could have came to any conclusions faster than we did
0: I distinctly remember talking about this on uh, episode number three for the industry I mentioned i can 't recall if this was during the podcast or not or before it, but I remember talking about you Lander l a n d r dot c o and that was actually an argument we had, which was like if you're an app in the app store, you totally lose the thing that you're capitalizing most on you know you you're backed by Google ventures but at the same time you're leveraging Google mobile ads and I was like, well if you're in the app store you're only you know for lack of better terms findable in the app store, so people would have to like be searching the app store which you don't find for services, so you're actually you know, targeting the the mobile website of things, basically providing a number of themes across fifty different industries, and leveraging that as well as Google Mobile Ads to, you know, pretty much target people to the right kind of businesses with mobile friendly websites that actually convert.
1: Definitely, definitely, and that's that's yeah. You summed it up. You you can come be a sales rep if you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: that's funny. That's funny. Jeez, let's see what else can we talk about? What what else can we talk about? You help me um,
1: out. Um I don't I don't know. Um so I I'm a I'm a big Chicago Bulls fan <laughs> because my Michael Jordan when I was growing up like who everyone my age is a Bulls fan.
0: Right, of course. Right.
1: Um and that's that's really it. I'm I'm really into sports. I'm really into being a good dad and really into building businesses. <laughs> There is
0: one question on this show, and uh, listeners are probably thinking, Adam, what you should be asking him is the super secret question. So uh, I don't know if you know about this, but on this show, we ask our guests, basically. And when I say we, it's just me. Um, you know, I ask the guests that come on the show, hey, what's on the near horizon? What is something you guys are about to do that no one knows about that you can announce right here today on this show?
1: Um... Uh... Could be a future
0: next week, could be something you're doing tomorrow. It could be a blog post. I, it could be anything.
1: Yeah. And there's something big coming up that we can't announce just yet. Um I'm trying to think of something else. I wish I could announce it, but I can't. We um the ink's not dry yet. Ink's not dry um, yet. Um let's see. We are we're designing a new site. Oh yeah, Joel's Joel's designing a new site. I couldn't be happier. With how fast we get over our own designs, I bet. <laughs> so um, we've already—I think we've had three websites already, and each one gets simpler and simpler and simpler and simpler. So we are launching a new site, very, very as simple as it can be, kind of Dropbox and Path esque as far as simplicity goes. And I couldn't be more excited about it.
0: Well, I, I happen to follow Joel and Dribble, and I saw him throw up a couple shots recently. Five days ago, he put up one that said, "This is what happens when designers <laughs> write copy."
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and it was like fifty plus apps and counting kicking the mobile market in the face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Definitely, yeah. We like to we like to have a lot of fun with our copy. Um, we kind of like we like how Groupon kind of did that, but we don't want We want to do it less weird. If, yeah. if that makes sense, right? I think you, there's a reason why it's a little weird. Yeah, yeah. So, um, we let, we definitely let Joel kind of go with it. And, um, and we have, we have, uh, we have lots of liquor in the, um, design and product office. So I think that helps Joel, um, come up with some, you know, great slogans like that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the new site is going to be kick butt, dude. I'm, I couldn't be more excited about it. Um, and i always I always give Joel crap because I always ask our other our other designer Jed to come over and help Joel out when um joel's struggling a little bit so um they they have they have a friendly competition i super i super dig it and i I love my design guys i I haven't been this proud of like the design of my company like ever like and i'm i'm in any company I've been involved with, like I'm so excited for these guys to just like nail it. And I try to give them as much freedom as possible to kind of do whatever they think's best. Cause like sometimes they will make something like there's stuff on the site right now that I think looks like shit, but they're like, no dude, we totally dig it. We love it. This is how we want it. I'm like, okay, go with it. <laughs> and to think all this came
0: from you having the courage to tweet back, spend two to four grand on some tickets and have a fun ride.
1: Oh, totally, totally, and like as 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 that as that goes, like I met Joel on Twitter. Like I, I think I tweeted I need a a screencast um app or something like that, and he kind of he down he pirated one for me or something like that, <laughs> and I just came and picked it up from him. Like I never knew this guy, I never talked to him before. I just walked in his office. I'm like, Are you Joel. He's like, yeah, you Steve. I'm like, yeah, Hand me a disc, and I was like, thanks, buddy. And <laughs> I just left. Like, like I never met him. Like, he could have been planning to murder me. Um, and he just gave me a screencast app. That's how I met him. And now he runs design for me. I'm super stoked.
0: Well, you mentioned you're working on some new design as as part of the super secret thing. So I'm gonna put some put a link to Joel and Dribble in the show notes. And if I'm looking yeah. at his recent shot, it's probably teasing us with some new design you guys are working on, at least for the website.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: I think he called a blue blotch, but uh, we'll we'll leave it up for the future. I guess when do you when are you targeting for this new site? Just curious.
1: Um, probably mm, in the next um week and a half to two weeks. Okay, so cool. I would say mid mid April is a good is a good chance it'll be live. So
0: do us a favor and impart us uh, impart on us some wisdom that you may have gleaned from. Jason, maybe Dave, maybe Gary, anybody you've met at Google Ventures, uh, you know, what is some of the best advice they've given you to help you get to where you're at today?
1: Um they all like give me different perspectives. Um so I'll kind of go in between them. Um Jason's taught me um to act like you're hot shit even if you don't think you are. Um He's he's and he's great at that, right? Like 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 Jason Jason has this this kind of like ambiance about him that like he is just like the man, he knows what he's doing, and he's taught me how to do that, like from investor meetings, like to where like I'll I'll go to investor meetings and I'll come back and tell Jason about him and he will tell me like They don't know what they're doing. This is why they don't know what they're doing. And this is why they're telling you what they said. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have so much to learn, right? Like I will – I'll come out of this meeting being like, oh, X, Y, and Z. And he's like, this is what it really means. I'm like, oh, my God, you're right. Um, Dave McClure has taught me that um, most people don't know what they're talking about. So the only person who really knows about your business is you. And that's really it. Like you take you know, 5% of what everybody gives you and and run with it everything else like if you take anything too literal from anybody and he'll say this about himself he be like if you take anything too literal from me you're crazy right because i don't really know what i'm talking about right they only know their specific industries like if you want to talk about like human powered search or learning like talk to jason but other than that like you can take bits from him. um and same thing with dave mcclure right um from google ventures it is always you you can't do enough testing and diligence, whether it's upon like your investors or the the products that you're going to be launching. They're very, 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 very metrics-driven. Um, but I think the best one is from Gary Vee. I had a, a conversation with him, and he said, listen, as, you'll succeed as long as you just hustle the shit out of this product. And that's like verbatim of what he told me. I bet and I was like, okay, like you're right. Like like as long as we just do this more and more and more and more and more and more, like you're gonna do good. And like that's just what it is. Like like it's like, okay, let's assume you're past that line of like yes, you could be a CEO and no you can't be a CEO, right? Like get rid of the people who can't, right? The people who can, the only thing that's separating them from being like a great CEO and having like you know, a good company and having an exit or going public is like hustle. And that's really it. Like, I, I think that like you can, you can learn a lot of shit, right? It's not like sports, like in baseball, like 80% to 85% of the guys, like physically are the same, like buff dudes. They're all fast, like very athletic. Right. But it's like, they don't, they're not as good as the other people because strategy like
0: strategy fundamental stuff like a, that.
1: Exactly. With entrepreneurs, it's like our our physical equivalent for baseball players is how much we know. Right. Right. And we live in the perfect age to learn. Right. So it's like if you don't well, succeed. Well there's something
0: you can't learn. You know?
1: Exactly. If you don't succeed, it's your fault. Right? And that's it. Like that that's just it. Like you didn't do it. Like and, and like people will try to sugarcoat it, but it's like if you didn't do it, it's because you didn't do it. Not because nobody else did it. So it's like, um, I hate the Raiders, but like their owner would always say, like, just win, baby. Right? Like, that's it. Like, no one else cares. Like, just win and that's it. So I think that's, like, the biggest thing is, like, Gary Vee's just like, yeah, if you hustle the shit out of this product, like, you'll kick ass. And he's right. Like, it's as simple as that. Like and, and like, you'll force yourself to iterate. Like, if you hustle and you find new data and you find something out, like, you'll iterate naturally. Like, that's just what happens when you find out new data. You make changes in your life. You iterate with your life every day. Like, I, I change as a father all the time. Right. Like I like I played I played um the zombie levels on Call of Duty with my son, right? And he was digging it and then he started having nightmares about zombies and like, oh I gotta iterate out of this. Right. <laughs> right. So I was like, okay, no more playing zombies with dad. Right. And it's like so you naturally do that like all the time with your life and like it's like if you're a good CEO, that's like it shouldn't be news that you should change your product um fast and fast and fast until you get it right. So the only thing separating everybody is just like how hard they work. Like that's it.
0: Well, Steve, I, I have to agree with uh, with your son though that the zombies are pretty scary.
1: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> they're, they're kind of exactly. scary.
0: You know, they really are.
1: <laughs> I would he would he would just sit there and shoot the wall, and then I would have to go around him and protect him <laughs> until they overcame us. Like,
0: <laughs> and then you die, and then that horrific laugh comes into play, and then you got that's probably. That's probably what sparked his nightmares, poor kid.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I would, and then I would let him be um, Richard Nixon. So
0: <laughs> so I guess uh, to part with, how can people catch up with you? Where can people go to find out about you? I think it's what, uh, goappstack.com, right, is your...
1: Yeah, um, my email is um, steve at goabstack.com. So if anybody needs to get in touch with me, um, steve at com is the... Is the way to go through or you can um let me see hold on real quick let me get something um, you can text Joel at nine five one two six five eight zero three three and he'll fig- he'll figure out and get you in touch with me
0: Wow is, <laughs> is he gonna be upset with you when you when he hears
1: this yeah, yeah when he hears this he's gonna be crazy but please everybody just text Joel. If you want a meeting or you want an interview or you um, want anything from me, if you want Starbucks, just text Joel.
0: Even some design advice if you're going to Dribbble. Yeah, dribble. Just, if,
1: free design advice from Joel Bucherman, um, who's a master on dribble. Um, you can definitely just text him and he will help you out. Awesome. Well,
0: Steve, it's, uh, it's honestly been a pleasure to, to chat with you. I love the story. Uh, I applaud you for having the courage to... Uh, to do what Gary said, which is just keep on hustling and doing what the what the losers wouldn't do. So, um, thanks for coming on the show. It's it's been a blast, man. Thanks.
1: No problem. Thanks, buddy.
0: And that's it for this edition of Founders Talk. Thanks again for listening to the show, and also thanks to Leslie Conning for making this show possible. Don't forget to use the coupon code Founders Talk for. For the month of April to get two months free of less accounting. And if you're looking to sponsor this show, just shoot me an email, adam at founderstalk.com.